As a finance professional, you're constantly looking to learn from the best. Do you want to meet them? Join me and our panel of top industry experts at our next CFO Leadership Live event on August 24th in Dallas, Texas, as we talk with three CFOs about the challenges that finance teams are facing today and how best to overcome them. The workshop includes a complimentary buffet lunch and the chance to network with other DFW finance leaders. Head over to CFOLeadershipLive.com to secure your seat. Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is David DeMond. David is the CFO of the March of Dimes and the head of strategic accounting and finance functions for the organization. David is responsible for developing and implementing the overall financial strategy and stewardship of the March of Dimes. He is charged with the development of the long-term financial plan, management of the accounting, budget, compliance, internal audit, and bank relationships. He is also responsible for chairing the finance committee and is a member of the board of trustees. Prior to the March of Dimes, David spent over 20 years at the headquarters of American Red Cross, where he was the head of finance for the blood division that generated over $2 billion in revenue and accepted over 40% of the nation's blood supply. David holds a BSBA from Georgetown University and an MBA from the University of Pittsburgh. Dave, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, today we're going to be taking a look at your career and your current organization, March of Dimes, and discussing what it takes to become a successful successful CFO in the nonprofit space. So let's start with you. And if you can kind of look back on your career and tell us about uh, your journey to date. Okay. Yeah. So I you know, really, I started in um, public accounting and consulting at KPMG. So one of the big four uh, was big six back then. Um, and we, for being in Washington, D.C., we focused a lot on government and nonprofits. So really started gravitating towards that uh, area. Um, I went back to business school and then coming out of it, um, I, I got one of the, I got a job at the Red Cross as national headquarters here in Washington, D.C. And I think like a lot of people, I didn't expect to be here all that long. I was I started in when I was in my late 20s, um, but ended up being there over 20 years. And really, the reason I stayed was you really get as when people who work for nonprofits, they come for the work where they really stay for the mission. And that was primarily the, one of the reasons why I stayed, but it was also because the work kept changing. I, I started and I kept growing in my career. I started as an analyst and then moved my way up to um, a CFO of a smaller business line and then the CFO of the largest business line, which is the blood division, and really finished there and then got the opportunity to be the CFO of an, an entire organization uh, at the March of Dimes. So really just kept moving moving up over the years and kept learning and always in the nonprofit space. But that's really how it happened. Yeah. When you were at KPMG, were your clients nonprofits or? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Government nonprofits. So really got a feel for that and really liked the the mission and really the reason why people get up in the morning and the good that they do and how that kind of resonated with me. Yeah. Must be nice to have really meaningful work. Yeah. Really was, and it really kind of motivated me. And then as I got older, really, it, it, uh, I think even more so. So, as you look back again, um, are there stories or career moves that stand out in your mind as turning points throughout your career? I think so, and I, I think for the listeners, I think the big thing it would be is um, take risks. Yeah. When I when I was in the when I was in the Red Cross, I was a really ahead of the department, which over, you know, an analyst, but I wasn't a, what I was in, it wasn't in a business line and the business line that I got a job on, people kept saying, oh, they're not doing well. They're going to go out of business soon. Why would you want to be in that business? Um, We ended up propping it up, doing much better and then selling it um, after about six years. So it was a really great opportunity to help grow it, help turn it around and then actually be involved in something that was, uh, you know, a merger and acquisition on the other end of the organs for the others, you know, for another organization. Um, that and then from there, I grew into a, you know, a bigger position from there. But I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had that opportunity hadn't I taken the risk uh, for the from, you know, going to that line of business. And then the same thing holds true for the March of Dimes. Uh, when I got the opportunity for the March of Dimes, they were losing money. I think seven straight years, their cash had gone down about the same amount, uh, over $100 million. And again, a lot of people had thought that they, they were not going to survive. Um, four years later, we have, you know, since I, uh, I've been here, our new CEO has been here. We have broken even every year. We've put more money in the bank every year. Uh, we're net asset positive for the first time. So we really turned the organization around and we're doing more in terms of our mission as well. So all of those things um, really would help turn it around. But again, I wouldn't if I was fearful um, of moving, I would have never taken the job. So I think that's my kind of what I would say to people who really want to grow and keep moving up is take some risks once in a while. Yeah, I think that's great advice. It's really easy for us to become complacent, but it's doing us a huge disservice. Yeah, I think some of the things sometimes the easy thing to do is just kind of stay where you are and you really get kind of complacent. Um, but if you continue, you want to continue to learn and grow and meet new people and those type of things. And then I think there's always, you know, there's always challenges out there you can go to. So let's talk about the March of Dimes. Uh, I think most people have probably heard uh, of that organization, but what exactly is it that they do? So you know, most people heard of the March of Dimes probably because we've been around since 1938 and uh, FDR started it. And we were the organization that helped or really helped fund or did fund the cure to polio. So FDR, who had polio, created the March of Dimes. It was um, that was it wasn't called that at the time, but it became that and um, funded the research that really eradicated polio by the 1950s, late 1950s. And then we we had to pivot like a lot of organizations do. You had to pivot our uh, our mission and we started focusing more on birth defects of children. And then as things have changed, we've focused now more on moms and healthy moms and strong babies. And what that means is that we do everything for the mom and for the baby from just some of the programs that we do is we have a NICU family support program. So we try to solve for prematurity 
That's one of the things that our um, our research does. But we have a NICU family support program that should you know should that happen. We're in the NICU with the families. We do everything from education. We do everything from support, bringing them dinners, bringing them you know moral support, um, everything and you know, how to care for the baby. Everything, everything from those from that standpoint. We have supportive pregnancy care um, programs, which we bring in moms to talk about their issues, and that really helps them to relieve stress. We have buses that go out to maternity deserts. So areas where there's not hospitals with maybe a 25 mile radius, and we help with not only prenatal care but post as well. You know, we do education to consumers. We do advocacy down on the hill to help with you know legislation that will help with moms and babies. So we do all of that, um, just like any other. A lot of non a lot of nonprofits. You know, we do we're heavy into research, trying to solve for uh, prenatal, you know, um, preterm birth. We do education. We do training. Uh, you know, we do advocacy and a lot of, if you look at a lot of nonprofits, they're all in the type of space, especially ones that are, you know, healthcare related type things or disease type related type things. Just curious, where did the, where did that name come from? March of Dimes. So it was originally called the Infant Paralysis uh, Foundation, I think by, by FDR. And one of the Hollywood stars at the time, Eddie Cantor, um, who you probably don't know, <laughs> had had said, we want to see a march of dimes of coming into the White House. So the White House was taking all the money. And at the time, they were asking for dimes. And that's why one of the reasons why FDR is on the dime is because he spearheaded that. But he was saying, we want to see a march of dimes coming into the White House to fund the research to help eradicate polio and kind of just took off from there. Yeah. OK, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you were previously the vice president um, biomedical finance at American Red Cross, and you were at Red Cross for over two decades. So what was it like for you to transition to a new corporation when you went to March of Dimes? It was a little bit of culture shock or a lot of bit of culture shock from going for any I think we moved any place from 20 years, a large organization without with about 20,000 employees or more to a smaller organization with about, I think about 800 at the time, uh, was a bit of a culture shock. And then being in the CFO role was, you know, different as well, being the head of CFO. And then, uh, you know, with with all of the problems they were having, certainly was stressful at the time. It's much better now. Um, But I had to get, you know, I had to meet new people, had to understand their culture, had to understand how to engage in change kind of in the best way possible with kind of without, disrupting too much. We're getting some consensus on it. So it was pretty difficult in that regard. In terms of the nonprofit piece of it, running a nonprofit, not as much. I mean, they're, they're, nonprofits kind of operate in the same way. They all have same similar type financial statements and 990s, which is the IRS statement. So not as much that way, but more maybe the, um, like I said, the culture and the way and turning it around and what we had to do. Yeah, I, I can imagine that that was uh, a trial by fire in, in many ways. Certainly was. So before you were hired at March of Dimes, you had an opportunity to see their org chart. And what did you think of it at that time? And kind of how did you approach their org structure as an interviewee? Yeah, so I think the big thing is, is I looked at it and I said, this is pretty much wrong in terms of how you're going to we're going to turn around the organization. It was heavily focused on transactions, 
and um, people just doing business with themselves. And we really needed a finance group, and we're still getting there, really, to be honest with you, of a group that can helps the move helps the organization move forward, helps with forecasting, helps with analysis, business cases and out business case analysis, helps with business plans within our different you know chapter system. So that was what I had designed um, the finance group to look like. Also, we had significant pension problems, so I hired a treasurer. Um, that knew a lot about pensions and investments. And so we worked on that problem as well. So really tried to look at the problems that we were facing, tried to stay you know, current with what other finance groups were doing and move that in that direction. So just curious, do you think that helped you, that helped you to land the, the opportunity with March of Dimes? I think so. I think it did help because I think they were looking for someone who would get them out of the old way of looking at things. They, I think, you know, it's good and bad to have a CFO come from your internal organization. And they had that for over 30 years. But the problem was that they didn't change their structure. They didn't change a lot. They, they had an antiquated financial system that was over 30 years old. Um, they didn't change their policies and procedures that much. So it was one of those things where it was good to have somebody fresh in that case, in this case, come from the outside and, you know, look at it kind of in a different way. So for all of those out there who are going through inter- the interview process at the moment, what advice would you give them for making a lasting impression? I think, you know, tell people how you can potentially do things differently, how you, you know, you'll do how you, but, but you won't shake up things to the point of breaking things. I think that, um, I think that how you're going to put your own mark on the organization and what you want to get out of it, as well as what they want from you. So one of the things I said was, you know, at this point in my career that I really wanted to make this kind of the legacy that I have was like, you know, an organization that was really kind of going out of business and turning them around and helping them grow to a sustainable business model. And I think those are all things that, you know, help them say, yeah, this might be the right person. So it's really how you'll put your mark on the organization, how you might change things and how you may help them, you know, in the areas that they need for success. Great advice. Um, so you've spent your entire career at nonprofits. What, in your opinion, does it take to be a successful CFO, first of all, and secondly, a successful CFO at a nonprofit? I mean, I think in any case, you have to look at, especially in a nonprofit, you have to look at it as a business, right? But you have to be cognizant of there is a push and pull on that. And what I mean by that is that there's all, because you're mission-related, Sometimes you have to do things that may not make the most financial sense, but may help the most people. Um, so if you said, well, we're only going to help people that, you know, in areas of the country where we get the most money, you know, you wouldn't be helping probably the most, the majority of the people in this or in the country that actually need help. So you have to, you have to uh, have take one money from one chapter and maybe move it over to another one in order to get some work done. So there are things like that where, you know, you kind of lead by mission, but you have to make sure that you're operating with good financial rigor and you're looking at it as a business. And I think if you do that, um, you'll be a good CFO for any kind of nonprofit. So as an organization, how does March of Dimes make, and, and you as well in the leadership team, how do you all make sure that you're doing the most amount of good with the money that you're given? 
Yeah, I, that's a big piece of what we want to do is we want to be good stewards of the money that we get. So we do look at, and it shifts can shift from year to year where the biggest need is in the country and what the what the pending issues are that relate to our mission, moms and babies, right? So if it's if it's you know in a certain area of the country or or is a certain thing that's happening, we will focus on those areas. We also you know so we look at our programs and we do a business analysis on those. What are what's going to what's going to provide the most bang for the buck? Where is it going to? Where do we need to be? What do we need to be doing? And we try to gravitate uh, our strategy around that, and that's where you know we may focus for that particular year or or for a number of years, depending on how you know systemic the problems are. And and you mentioned this a couple of times, but that you joined the organization when they were losing money, and that they had been for years, and that uh, there was a legacy pension plan that was dragging down the balance sheet. So, first of all, how did how did they get into that position? Well, any anyone who had a defined benefit plan, because the interest rates were going down, the discount rates going down so low, probably was upside down, and so um, the Marshall Dimes had a really lucrative. Uh, retirement defined benefit plan. The unfortunate thing was that they did not um, freeze it or even cancel it, uh, terminate it, well, like other organizations had done in the early two, mid 2000s. They had still continued to have it until about 2016 or so, which really made made the problem a lot worse. So they were looking at contributions of almost, you know. Five to ten percent of their re- revenue, and that that would take away from mission. So we really had to come in um, and take a look at how we could reduce that, which we did. Um, but they also, I think, they were funding. They got to be fund. They started funding um, technology. I mean, I research that was on contracts for two to three years, and those contracts just kept adding up and adding up. And there were obligations the organization had, but revenue had continued to go down. So. They were in a position where they couldn't fund uh, a lot of that research. And so we had to look at, you know, kind of doing away with these, some of this three years to research and do one year and then reduce it to the percentage of you know, revenue that we were getting in. So it really was just looking, taking a fresh look at the organization and where they were spending their money and then trying to get it in alignment. And are they still in a position where they're losing money today or re- that revenue is continuing to decline or has that changed direction at yeah, all? So um, in 2021, revenue was up over the previous years. It was still down over a few past years when I mean, we were down because of the, a lot of the reason we were down is because of the pandemic, but we were back up in 2021. Uh, we hadn't, since I've been here, we have not lost money. We have, we've had positive margin every year and we've increased our cash reserves, which had been obviously going down when you're losing money. So we've been adding to the treasury to kind of get it back up to where it needs to be. So you you mentioned analyzing things, forecasting things. So are there tools or technologies that you're using uh, or your your department's using that that's helping to make life easier for you? I'm always interested to hear what what's new out there. So we're trying to focus more on the analytic piece and less on the transaction piece. So one of the things we did was they, they had a very antiquated um, accounting system and we moved over to Oracle NetSuite, which it gave us a lot of more analytic power um, to use in terms of how we set up the budget, how we monitor it, and then doing you know more business case analysis on things. So that was one of the things we used. But we do try to reduce 
Um, we, we go to these conferences and we look for tools like that, um, like NetSuite or add-ons to NetSuite that can help us with transactions or travel or closing the books. So we have Concur, we have you know things like that um, for travel. We're looking at ones to help close the books for um, you know for just a, for on a monthly basis. So we're continually trying to evolve the our finance organization to stay current with the technology and uh, talk to other groups. Um, I'm a member of Gartner Group where we talk about best practices, what other finance groups are doing. And I'm always, you know, always try to stay current if it's a nonprofit, you know, for-profit or nonprofit. So I think those are what's one of the kind of my mantras. Yeah, technology is changing so fast these days; really fast. it's kind of hard to keep up. Yeah, it really is. And all these organizations, they're, you know, most of them are from the uh, Palo Alto area, um, but they all have really good, you know, things that they're doing. And some of them are in different states, but they really, I think, in, in the long run, they're really, they're, they're really going to have some really good, they're going to have some really good solutions that can help. Um, and I actually remember the question I was thinking of earlier. So, it's such an excellent cause. Where does where does most of your money come from? Is it like government um, government funding or? No, we get very we get very little government funding. I mean, um, you know, of about 150 million, we may get five to ten million dollars in grant uh, government grants. Most of it comes from individuals and or uh, and corporate and corporations, really that. Um, have corporations that see this as a you know one of the causes that their organization wants to fund, um, and then individuals, some of who've been impacted by preterm birth, preterm birth, or you know having a NICU in the you know and, or those type of things, or even we we still even get money um, bequested of us from polio survivors. So, but wow. that's really where that's really where it comes from. It's mostly people. So, as a CFO, what is the biggest challenge that you're facing like now this this quarter? Yeah, I think two things. I think I you know, I talked to other CFOs and and it is kind of resonates throughout kind of the whole industry and probably in the for-profit industry which is obviously inflation is a big issue right now for everyone. It's not as much for us because we don't rely so much on uh you know, goods and services uh as much as other folks do. Uh so especially, especially like fixed assets and things like that. Um, but that is still a big issue for us in terms of our people and trying to, you know, continue to have them not leave the organization and resign and move or move along. I think that's a big issue. So it's really the inflation and then st- staffing and hiring are the two things right now that are the probably the biggest issues for us as, as they are for probably most companies um, in the country. Yeah, I know accounting talent has always been scarce, but it seems to be uh, extremely scarce these days. Yeah, yep, for sure. And lastly, what's keeping you up at night at the moment as you look out into the future? Well, it is those last two things that I said was staffing not only from finance, but from, from the whole organization making sure we get people in that can do the job and stay. Mm -hmm. I think it's still trying to rebound a bit from, you know, pandemic. And we do a lot of events and getting people to come back to events on premises is a, is a concern that I have. Um, And then, you know, as inflation goes up, is people donating, is that going to go down? So those are the type of things that kind of keep me up at night. And we look at the trends and we look at, you know, if we have to pivot, somewhere where we can do that quickly so we don't get in too much trouble and we can keep you know keep our keep everything balanced and keep on budget 
So those are the type of things that really kind of keep me up at night that I keep my eye on every day. As a, as a nonprofit, do you guys have trouble um, attracting talent or do you find that you can compete pretty well? It's hard. I'm, I think, you know, again, it's a lot of the people, it's a, a certain type of person who wants to come into a nonprofit and really and do good once they get here. We typically, try, we can, you know, depending on what it is, we can keep them longer if they're especially, they're, depending on their involvement in strict mission uh, investments. Um, so I think that it, it, we do have a little bit of an advantage there, but obviously we may have a disadvantage in terms of some of the back office and some of those folks that might be able to get paid more um, in industry. Dave, thank you so much for being my guest today. Okay, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was nice talking to you. Yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about all of your experiences and the resulting insights. And I appreciate you being here with us today. And I wish you and uh, March of Dimes all the best. Sounds like you guys are both doing amazing things. And to all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. Okay, thank you. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personif. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personif can do for you by visiting personif.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personif. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personif.com. Thanks for listening.